You're listening to the We Are Libertarians podcast network. Find all of our shows at wearelibertarians.com. You know, if you really think about it, we've gone from the smallest government in world history to the largest government in world history in a shockingly short amount of time. And during this short time, we've seen individual freedom and civil liberties decimated in the wake of the state's never-ending quest for more and more control. Democrats, Republicans, both are to blame. This show isn't about picking sides. It's about returning power to its rightful owner, the individual. Welcome to Freedom Strips on the We Are Libertarians Network. Welcome indeed back to a brand new episode of Freedom Strips. As always, I am your host, Keaton Tucker, and it's good to see you. It's good to hear from you again. Even though I don't really uh, hear from you, you really kind of hear from me. Um, although, if you do want to come on the show, you are more than welcome. Just uh, feel free to reach out to me. I'll be happy to have you on if you want to talk about some topics. Um, actually, Micah, I haven't forgot about you. Uh, my buddy Micah has wanted to come on the show, and we, we tried to set up a date, but it didn't. Uh, the timing didn't necessarily work out. But we're gonna we're gonna get that done. Um, well, let's just jump on into it. I wanted to start the show uh, with an article that is um, pretty important. It's a pretty eye-opening article. It's not a new article. This, this one actually came out in 2014. Uh, it was written by Michael Malice. It's titled, Why Conservatives Should Oppose Police. Now, if you are a conservative or, or on that kind of uh, political scale, maybe your eyebrows raised a little bit. This is an excellent article that brings up a lot of excellent points that should be sympathetic to the conservative position. Now, I, this article, the reason I'm bringing this up is, is because of recent events with the um, murder of George Floyd, which we'll get into here uh, shortly after this article. But it really kind of ties in also with these kind of these boundaries that have been stepped across with um, these police enforcement over these unconstitutional laws regarding this kind of COVID-19 pandemic that we've all gone through in the last uh, several months. We've just seen civil liberties just trampled all over uh, throughout all of this mess. So I wanted to open up the show reading this. It's not a short article. It's a it's a pretty lengthy one, but it brings up some excellent points. So let's go ahead and dive into that now. Why Conservatives Should Oppose the Police by Michael Malice. It starts out, Dear Conservatives, I appreciate how loath you must be to read articles addressed like this. They constantly address you as if you are stupid, crazy, and or hateful. They usually claim that you don't know what's good for you and and invariably assert that you're a racist, one who isn't even smart enough to realize it. If the insults aren't explicit, they're cloaked in condensation. As a Jewish writer from Brooklyn with an asymmetric haircut, I understand why you're probably not very receptive to what I have to say. But I know that you're far more open-minded than my neighbor's suspect you are. So I ask that you hear me out. As a conservative, you see what's happening to our country and our culture, and you're mortified. You're told that Islam is a religion of peace while Christianity is screed of hate. The liberal media tells you that the Westboro Baptist Church represents everyone who follows the Bible, but ISIS represents no one who follows the Quran. A woman who marries another woman is a hero, while a woman who chooses to raise her children at home is an embarrassment. Worst of all, following the law is regarded as such a joke that even the president can't be bothered to do it anymore. Because of all of this, you thank God every day for the police. You think the police are, a, are the main thing standing between us and the collapse of our civilization. You see the footage of rioting of buildings being burned down. And then you have to hear that it is you who are to blame. You're naturally afraid of fire and want to protect your children. 
and yet you're informed that such fears are what and wants are irrelevant and even wrong. It's supposed to be a good thing that you're scared, because you allegedly want oppression, and now you're learning what oppression feels like. All of this you find absurd. You know perfectly well that you don't want oppression, and you freely admit that there are bad cops, but by large, but by and large, you regard the police as good people doing a tough, thankless job. You think that the police need our support, not our attacks. At the very least, you think it's absolutely insane to side with people whose policies will only lead to more rioting and anarchy. It might be true that liberals always give the wrong answer to every problem. Yet that doesn't imply that these problems don't exist. Sometimes these people you despise, disdain, and disagree with are saying the right thing even if they don't know it themselves. So when I say that you should oppose the police, I say so precisely because of your principles, not theirs. If I could sum it up, if I could sum up why in one sentence, it would be this. You should oppose socialized law for the same reasons you oppose socialized medicine. One of the things that drives you crazy about liberals is their insistence that things wouldn't exist but for the government. This is something that is demonstrably untrue. Would there be TV shows without PBS? Would radio exist without NPR? Of course they would. Conservatives love to mention the inconvenient truth <clears throat> that it was Rush Limbaugh and not NPR that rescued the medium. The same principle applies to the police. The police are very necessary. The police are a very necessary service. Excuse me. The police provide a very necessary service. Security. But what necessary service is the government good at providing? You've seen our kids get dumber and dumber despite ever increasing money being spent on education. In fact, what unnecessary service is the government good at providing? The UPS and FedEx provided free package tracking for years before the post office did. They weren't forced to do it because of the law. It was the post office that had no other option due to competition from private companies. As a conservative, you remember how Sarah Palin was mocked for finding, quote, death panels in Obamacare, only to later, only to later have that grudgingly proven to be true. When government gets involved in crucial services... People end up dying. Can you imagine what would happen to emergency medical care if the government ran the ambulances? There's no reason why emergency security should be any different. You are being fed a false alter alternative. The choice isn't between police or chaos. The choice is between government chaos and private order. You don't have to take my word for it. Go have a dispute with a restaurant. If you don't like the food, you can send it back. Go have a dispute with a department store. You can return that shirt you bought, crumpled and stained, for a refund, or at the very least, store credit. You don't have to have a reason or even a receipt. The process is quick, efficient, and stacked in your favor. It is orderly and simple. Now try to have a dispute where the police are involved, or God help you, the police themselves. Is it even conceivable that the whole process won't be a headache with no guarantee whatsoever of an equitable, equi equitable resolution? The police are unionized. As a conservative, you realize what that means, protecting bad employees from facing consequences. When unions run education, for example, you get common core. But with incompetent police, the consequences are far more dire. <clears throat> Excuse me. It means innocent people get harassed and guilty people get killed. Do you want all crimes punished by public death like the communists used to love to? Is it really a good thing for, say, a shoplifter to be shot in the street? Forget the criminal himself. I'm not asking conservatives to sympathize with lawbreakers. 
But what about the children who see someone shot in their own neighborhood? How can that be anything other than traumatic for them? Look at TV shows where someone gets burglarized. Even in those imaginary scenarios, having the police recovering a character's property of providing their services promised is never shown. Having the police render you whole is impossible to portray in even fiction. Now look at eBay, where everyone automatically has a free-of-charge fraud protection, keeping you safe from people you've never met or seen. A trip to a dark movie theater is fun for the family, while a trip to a dark alleyway stokes fear for everyone. A bar full of drunks and hotel and a hotel full of strangers is still infinitely safer than a nighttime city street or a train or a train car. In other words, the most dangerous areas are precisely the ones under police protection, while the safest ones are precisely the ones under private management. This is what government security means. Yes, you may want the police to crack down on the bad areas, but as a conservative, you also understand that the government programs will always spill over in the same way that tax hikes on the rich end up hurting you. You will soon be facing a crackdown. It doesn't need to be this way. A lessening of police services would allow for more licensed private security officers everywhere. If people found that too disquieting, as a large police presence certainly is, then such employees could work undercover. They could be limited to keeping the peace instead of enforcing stupid tax laws that not only help the government at the expense of the poor and marginalized. Neighbors and storekeepers could be hired to act as part-time lookouts. Security doesn't need to be tied to geography any more than phones do. You could subscribe to a service and have it follow you wherever you go. It's practically the same transition as the one from landline to cell phone. Different individuals, organizations, and communities could have various overlapping measures of security. How many types of detergent are there? There's no reason why security couldn't work the same way. There's no limit on possible market solutions except for the government as it currently stands. Yes, there are obvious criticisms to this approach. One thing conservatives will resent is that the poor would probably get security for free or at a highly subsidized cost. As a conservative, you might find this unfair that some aren't pulling their so-called weight, but fairness should be the concern of liberals, not yours. Your main issue is keeping everyone safe. Cell phones are cheap enough that charities can afford to hand out Obama phones to the homeless. Providing additional security to the poor would cost far less than whatever the government now spends on police unions. But what happens when you're a subscriber to security company A and have an argument with someone subscribed to security company B? Look at the actual data. I have no idea what happens, technically, when a Verizon customer dials a Sprint customer. I have no idea because I don't have to have an idea. The people who know what they're talking about, not those people marching on TV that you abhor, figured out that matter. It was such an obvious concern that the company solved it before anyone became aware of it. The same goes for ambulances coordinating with hospitals or credit cards negotiating with every type of business imaginable. In all of these cases, the market anticipated the problem and coordinated a solution. Security is the very same thing. As a conservative, you intuitively understand that markets stand for peace and order, while government and politicians thrive on strife and conflict. It's no coincidence that Calvin Coolidge gained national prominence by taking on the police unions. The liberals get enough of your tax money as it is. Don't let them take this issue away from you, too. <clears throat> now, that was a long article, but I, I think that that's such a great pitch. I hope you do, too. 
Um, if you're kind of less on the libertarian side, more on the conservative pro police side, this should be a great pitch. It's not anti police. It's anti socialized security, which is what the, the police are right now. Free market security options as in conservative. How can you oppose that? It's a great pitch. It's an old article, Michael Malice. He's great. I love Michael Malice. Um, Again, it's called Why Conservatives Should Oppose the Police. If you wanted to look that up and share it yourself, great article. But like I said, the reason I wanted to open up the show with that is because it is a uh, great article to kind of go into this next story, which everyone, of course, knows about and everyone has been talking about the last couple days. And that is the, uh, the death, the murder, really, of uh, George Floyd. Now, what I'm going to go over here is the kind of timeline. Um, actually, let's, let's do this here. We're going to go over the timeline here. And uh, we'll, we'll go over each detail that we are, are. And more and more, we're learning more and more about all of this. But let's go ahead and dive on in. Everything we know about the killing of George Floyd. On Monday, a black man named George Floyd died in police custody at a Minnesota hospital following a brutal police assault that was captured in a bystander video. The footage showed a white Minneapolis police department officer named Derek Chalvin. Chalvin? I think it's Chalvin. Kneeling on Floyd's neck as he shouts, I can't breathe, and several bystanders shout for Chalvin to stop his attack. After several minutes, Floyd's body appears to grow limp. The Minnesota De- Minneapolis uh, Police Department later said in a statement that Floyd, 46, died of a, quote, medical incident. Yeah, otherwise known as strangulation. <laughs> um... The, the video, I don't know if you guys have seen the video. I'm not going to play the video. It is hard to watch. I mean, the this police officer, this police officer here, um, for those of you listening on the audio, um, I'm showing a picture of the event that's happened here. This officer pinned his knee against this man's neck. Um, now, what you don't see is behind the car... There are two other officers. There's an officer holding his legs and the man is obviously cuffed. There's another officer in the middle holding his uh, arms that are already cuffed, pinned against his back. And then there's this officer, um, Derek Chalvin, who is leaning on his upper middle back with one knee and his second knee directly on the side of the neck where the um, the artery is, the carotid artery, pinning his head and neck to the ground. So in the video, th- this is seen for a good. He, he's had got his knee planted in this guy's neck because he's saying that he can't breathe. He, he can't. He's starting to lose feeling in his arms. Um, he said that his chest is starting to burn because he can't get oxygen into it. For a good four minutes, there are a group of citizens surrounding these police officers. There's one additional one um, uh, also that's kind of like keeping the protest, these kind of citizens at bay um, as they're yelling at the police to get off, telling this specific police officer especially to get off of his neck that he's already handcuffed. There's two other cops already on him. He's. I mean, it's just completely ridiculous. He stays pinned on his neck for over 10 minutes. After about five minutes, you see him go limp. And then obviously another like five or six minutes go past, maybe eight, um, before they finally pick him up. He's dead already at that point. The brain um, cannot go more than around five minutes, six minutes without oxygen. You're dead at that point. And he's, he was well over the five minute mark before they picked him up. Um, but let's continue. Why were the police there at all? The police were called to stop a forgery in process. 
According to the police statement, officers were responding to reports to reports of a forgery and process at the Cup Foods grocery store and were advised that the suspect was sitting on top of a blue car and appeared to be under the influence. When the officers arrived, according to, the re- according to their report, they found Floyd sitting in his own car, at which point they ordered him to step outside. According to the police report, Floyd then physically resisted arrest. Police say that it was only after they cuffed him that they realized he was suffering from a medical distress that prompted them to call an ambulance. Police say he died shortly upon arriving at Hennepin County Medical Center. The Star Tribune later reported that the forgery referred to a counterfeit $20 bill which Floyd allegedly used to buy groceries. So, this man was killed for a forged $20 bill. This was not a guy who just killed somebody. This was not a guy who committed assault. Um... This, this guy was just straight up murdered enforcing this. Apparently a counterfeit $20 bill that he used to buy groceries. He wasn't using it to buy drugs, cigarettes, groceries apparently. You know why he was probably forging a $20 bill to buy groceries to eat? Probably because none of those people... And the lower class have money anymore due to this COVID-19 stuff. They probably all got laid off. They don't have any work, no money. Dude got desperate, forged a $20 bill, got the cops called on him and was killed, murdered on the street, strangled, ultimately. So in the police report, they said that Floyd physically resisted arrest. That was what was listed in the police report. Um, I've got the video. Let's see. Gosh, I'm going through all of my tabs here. Here we go. Um, I've got the video right here. The surveillance footage that shows that George Floyd did no such thing. Take a look. By CBS News shows what appears to be the start of the confrontation between George Floyd and Minneapolis police officers. Gets taken out of the car, gets walked all the way to the wall of the grocery store, is completely compliant, slides on down, sits. Sits down. He even gets in the uh, in the extended version. They you even see the police officer. There's like an eight minute version that you can go out and see. I, I highly recommend that you go out and you um, watch the surveillance footage yourself. It's it's from the from the grocery store where apparently he was taken out of his car. He gets taken out of the car. He gets handcuffed. He walks with the police. They take him to the side of the wall. He goes down with them. They even pick him back up later. He walks right with him all the way down to where the police cruiser was, where he is eventually pinned to the ground and murdered. There was no resisting arrest whatsoever. No resisting arrest whatsoever. So (laughs) these police officers get called to stop a forgery in process, a forged $20 bill that, I don't even know. I I don't even, I guess the, the store took it. Who cares? Like it's a $20 bill. They get called. They go, they pick him up. He doesn't resist arrest, arrest and gets killed. Yikes. Initial footage of Floyd's assault fills gaps in the incident report. Darnella Frazier, the bystander who filmed the altercation, uh, which was entirely left out of the police report, said that when she got to the scene, Floyd was already on the ground. 
Quote, the cops, they was pinning him down by his neck and he was crying, she said in a Facebook video. She said his face was pressed so hard against the ground that his nose was bleeding. A crowd quickly formed around the scene. Several people can be heard on tape telling the cops to stop hurting Floyd and they and to check his pulse once he appears to be unresponsive. They were pleading with police. If you watch the video, they're pleading, please get off of him. Check his pulse. Once he goes limp, they notice that he's not even moving or like saying anything anymore. They said, get off of him. Check his pulse at least to see if he's alive. Nope. They stayed on his, that dude stayed on his neck for another eight minutes, y'all. Another eight minutes. I'm telling you straight up murder. The guy, even the guy, the Chalvin, the officer sitting on him as they're pleading with him, they, he looks directly at them and then at him. And I'm, and I'm promising you, I'm promising you. He looks down at him, shifts his weight even more on the neck. It's almost like out of spite. Like you can't tell me what to do. I'm going to press even harder on this dude's neck as he's unresponsive completely. It's murder, completely murder. It can be heard on tape telling cops to stop hurting Floyd and to check his pulse once he appears to be unresponsive. The video prompted Minneapolis Mayor Jacob Frey to apologize to the city's black community on his Facebook page where he wrote on Tuesday morning, quote, being black in America should not be a death sentence. For five minutes, we watched a white officer press his knee into a black man's neck. When you hear someone calling for help, you're supposed to help. This officer failed the most basic in the most basic human sense. Another video emerged showing Floyd didn't resist arrest. On Tuesday, a second bystander bystander video began circulating that clearly shows Floyd did not physically resist arrest, disproving the police incident report that claims he had done so. The video taken through the windshield of the onlooker's car shows two police officers furiously cuffing Floyd. But Floyd himself appears to be just standing by his car. We can watch this video here. If it'll play, maybe I have to actually go on here. Here we go. So Floyd is going to be on this left side. So he just gets physically dragged out of his car and they cuff him. Yelling at the other people in the car to come back because they got out of the car. And then I showed you the video earlier that showed him completely just walking with them. Obviously visibly upset because he's being arrested, but he's not fighting the police. Another video from the surveillance cameras provided by a local restaurant, which is the one we looked at earlier. Um, The owner showed what happened next. Floyd sitting on the ground, handcuffed. Then a couple of police officers stand Floyd up and press him against a wall before walking him off camera. Floyd looks distressed, but there's no sound to indicate what anyone on camera is saying. In an interview with CNN, Cup Foods uh, co-owner Mohammed, I'm not even going to attempt to pronounce his last name, I'm just going to call him Mohammed, said uh, footage from the store's surveillance cameras which has not been released to the public, also shows Floyd, Floyd not resisting arrest. Something we, uh, we also haven't seen that hasn't been released as of today either is the body camera footage. Uh, apparently the body cameras were on, they were recording, but no one has seen the body camera footage yet. Uh, the officer who, fi- who had physically assaulted Floyd had a history of complaints against, against him. So the, uh, the the, the guy that is on George Floyd's neck, the one that was actually pinning his neck to the ground had 18 previous complaints against him. The police department said 18. 
Now I get that they're like people can complain against the police for practically anything, but 18 complaints. Holy crap. The, uh, the local Minnesota news did a, um, did a pretty good job kind of outlining the, the officers, um, that were involved. Let's take a listen. Frank. Okay. Jen. Been identified tonight. We're learning more about their history with the Minneapolis Police Department. Our Jennifer Merrily joins us live with that part of the story. Jen, Frank, we've learned two of the officers were newer to the force with just a few years of experience. But it was the most veteran officer on the scene that had was in direct contact with George Floyd. Derek Chauvin is the former officer in the video seen around the world with his knee on George Floyd's neck. He'd been with Minneapolis Police for 19 years. Two Tau is standing, facing the people watching, who are calling on the officers to help Floyd. Now, this Two Tau, he's the one that's kind of holding people at bay in the video. They're telling him to, like, tell the other officer to get off of him, tell, tell him to get off of his neck, and he's just, and he sits there, and he even tells him at one point, like, don't do drugs, kids, because apparently, like, he's looking at the guy being pinned by the neck on the ground and being like, yeah. Don't do drugs, kids. Look at this guy. Look how this guy turned out. There's no evidence that this guy was on drugs. They said that he may have been under the influence, but like, who cares if this guy was doing drugs? Does that, what excuse is that? Don't do drugs or else you might get pinned on the ground and strangled by an officer who is sworn for, oh my God, swore to the constitution is supposed to be for protect and serve protect and serve but that guy has been charged or well none of them have been charged yet but they have all been fired originally hired by the city in 2008 which is completely ridiculous if anyone if anyone if you listening or i anyone else other than someone with a badge did this they would already be in jail period Imagine the only consequence for doing something like this, pinning a man against his neck with full video evidence of it being done for over 10 minutes, cutting off oxygen to the brain to the point where the man suffocates and dies before an ambulance can arrive. And the only consequence to that, when you killed someone that way, was to just lose your job. Perks of being a police officer. WCCO has learned the other former officers, Thomas Lane and J. Alexander King, were paired together, joining Minneapolis police more recently in 2019 and 2017. The department tells us that's not optimal, but it's not against policy. For a second date, protesters showed up at Derek Chauvin's Oakdale home, saying they want him to feel their presence. It's unclear if his family is staying there. Chauvin has been involved in use of force situations before. According to a Pioneer Press article, Chauvin shot a man during a domestic assault call in 2008. According to reports, the man had reached for Chauvin's gun. And as we reported, in 2011, he was one of five officers cleared after a police-involved shooting in Little Earth. Tu Tau was sued along with another officer in 2017 for excessive force. The complaint alleges Tao threw the handcuffed man to the ground and began hitting him. In his deposition, Tao said he went through the police academy in 2009, was laid off for two years, and came back to the force in 2012. The case was settled for $25,000. We have requested the personnel files for the former officers. We expect to learn even more once those are released. We have contacted the attorneys for each of the four men. So far, no comment, Frank. Okay, Jennifer, thank you. Let's listen to what uh, CNN had to say on the matter. I know, CNN, fake news CNN. Let's listen to what they had to say on it. Police initially said Floyd was resisting arrest, arrest, but Floyd's family says surveillance video from a restaurant nearby disproves that claim. They're right. If you look at just the videos that we've all been able to see, both us in the media and the public, uh, many of them taken from bystanders, but also the surveillance video that we'd like to show you ourselves uh, from a store 
you can see what happens there. And there's no indication that he was resisting arrest. In fact, you see him sort of slide down and sit on the ground. His hands uh, are cuffed behind him. Uh, and then the officer helps him up at the same time. And so here's the thing. And, and, and look. The police, they're coming straight from the underground. They got it back because they're young, black, and they blind. So you can hear the pain. You can hear the grief here. And that pain and grief and frustration with seeing this happen to yet another black person in this country has boiled over into anger. Uh, what you're seeing where we're standing right now, Jake, is this is the third precinct here in Minneapolis. Police department is there. If you look on the top of the department, you will see officers standing there. Uh, they are holding uh, guns that basically fire tear gas. Um, and at times they have pointed it directly at people in the crowd uh, when they think that they're trying to get through a barricade that leads into the parking lot there. Uh, you also will see a bunch of folks with their hands up. This is an old chant that has really taken hold since the case of Michael Brown in Ferguson, Missouri. Hands up, don't shoot. But you're also hearing new things from this crowd. You are seeing people that are most of them are masked, but there are quite a few people who are not masked. And you're hearing people say, the virus is not as dangerous as the police or that police are the virus. That is a new chant that you're hearing as coronavirus has taken hold. There is a lot, as I said. Of uh, fun fact real quick. Uh, tear gas um, is labeled as a chemical warfare agent by the Geneva Convention, by the way. Uh, it was also the main agent used in the, um, the Waco fire it's actually highly incendiary it was actually one of the main reasons why i believe 75 people burned alive in waco when the atf flooded the building with tear gas um so the fact that it's used so widely and prominently by the police and uh and military even though according to the geneva convention it's labeled as a chemical warfare agent. Just makes you think. Pain here, Jake. Uh, people very frustrated uh, with what happened. However, we do know that four of the officers have been fired. Uh, the officer, of course, there with his uh, knee on the neck uh, of George Floyd uh, has a representative that no one has talked about this from their perspective. Uh, and we have not yet seen their body cam video. And that's video uh, that no one has yet seen and has not yet been released. But from the videos that we can see, from what we've been able to see that is available now, it does not appear that he was actually resisting arrest, Jake. No, it does not. So uh, say what you will about CNN. I've ragged on them a bunch. I don't see anything wrong with that report right there. Um, everything that was said right there is true with the video evidence that we have obtained from multiple witnesses from security footage of nearby businesses no evidence uh to resisting arrest which even if he was resisting arrest he was still murdered like would him resisting arrest still justify what was done I mean, like, what would they label as? I, I'm trying to, like, work through my head. Like, what would they label as resisting arrest? Like, if they stand him, they probably, they drug him, obviously, out of his car, shoved him against his door. He's probably talking to him, like, come on, man, just stop. I don't want to go to jail. Stop. I don't want to be arrested. He's probably, like, they're forcing his hands behind his back. He might tug his hand a little bit, move, move around and squirm a little bit. Is that resisting arrest? Is that like moving your hand and being like, come on, man, that's resisting arrest. Come on, dude. Even though after, after he's handcuffed, he's not fighting with police officers. He's obviously distraught, but he walks with them. Like, come on. Um, massive, massive rioting, um, and looting has been going on in Minneapolis uh, there is video footage of a target just being completely ransacked and auto zone bursting into flames set on fire. And they even set fire to an apartment complex for some reason. Now look, 
These people have every single right, every bit of a right to be upset about an obvious murder of this man. But this looting and rioting accomplishes accomplishes nothing for your cause. In fact, it only drives people away from listening to your cause. So if you're trying to explain why you're upset about something to maybe someone who doesn't understand for, for whatever reason, it, it would be, it, you'd have to be very dense to not understand. But if you were so dense to not understand, how is this going to convince people to come over to your side when you're robbing your neighbors? Looting your neighbors that had nothing to do with this. You're looting the town. Loot the police precinct. Bust the police officers' cars. That that is your that it was the problem. Not these like not Target, not AutoZone, not these local businesses that are being ransacked. The state did this. Not your neighbors. It's just completely ridiculous. Man, it almost seems like every time something like this happens, it eventually devolves into rioting and looting, which anyone would be against. I just think it drives people further and further away from your position if you go about doing stuff like that. Obviously. Obviously. It's just a shame. It is just a shame. Now, it's gotten so bad in Minneapolis that the National Guard has been requested to come in. Um, so National Guard support requested by city to combat violent protests in South Minneapolis. They've completely, these kind of rioters and looters have uh, taken over. The police are in no position. They've run out. As far as I've uh, seen, they're starting to run out of their tear gas, um, their chemical warfare agents. They're running out of their um, non-lethal ammunition. Yeah. <laughs> um, so they've requested the uh, National Guard to come in. Protests continued into Wednesday night in South Minneapolis, where Chopper 5 captured video <clears throat> of apparently looting at a nearby Target and other bu- uh, business areas. Fires have sprung up around the area as well. Governor Tim Wise, wise ways tweeted late Wednesday night, calling the situation near Lake Street and Hiawatha Avenue an extremely dangerous situation. The protests are happening in response to the death of George Floyd, who was killed Monday night after an incident that involved Minneapolis police officers. All four officers involved in in the arrest were fired on Tuesday, still not charged to this day, still not charged with anything. By the way, just fired. Protesters were seen on Chopper 5 footage throwing bottles and rocks at law enforcement while officers responded with rubber bullets, flash bombs, and tear gas to push them back. Some riot, some looters at the South Lake Street Target location were seen walking out with televisions, rugs, and other items from the store. Other looters were seen at a tobacco store, a Dollar Tree, and a liquor store. Additionally, additionally club foods and, and an auto zone is being looted as well. The auto zone was set on fire as of 9.30 p.m. It could be seen burning on Chopper 5 video. A source has confirmed to KSTP that the city requested support from the National Guard late Wednesday night to combat the ongoing violent protests. A Target spokesperson made the following statement, quote, We are heartbroken by the death of George Floyd and the pain it is causing our community. We decided to, t- to close our Lake Street store earlier today and worked to ensure all of our team members were accounted for and safe. Our focus will remain on our team members' safety and helping our community heal. Until further notice, our store will remain closed. That store is uh, no longer really a store. (laughs) I mean, if you see the video of the looting, that target got completely ransacked. That thing is no longer a store, no longer usable, and will not be usable for quite some time. KSTP has a crew on scene to gather more information. The Minneapolis Police Department said that they are aware of what is happening in the area and are working with them <clears throat> and are working on the matter. They advise to stay out of the area for the time being. So it is uh, a mess and, and is in no way 
uh, going to be over any time soon, I imagine. Now, seeing the National Guard come in is going to be interesting to watch. Um, but man, what a what a terrible, terrible turn of events this whole thing was. That man did not deserve to die. He could have been kept alive very easily if the officer simply did not pin his knee against his neck for over 10 minutes. Even when pleaded and begged by onlookers to stop as he went unconscious and limp. There is no other explanation to be said about what occurred other than murder caught on tape by an officer of the law. And unfortunately, this is not the only one. There are many more. These types of events happen more often than you think they do. And it's just a shame. It's a shame it happens. It's, it's, it's a shame that we have to... <laughs> we have to actually live in a system in a socialized security system that in a situation like this, had there not been a bystander with a camera, had there not been a local business store with security footage filming all of this firsthand, these officers would have written down in their statement saying that this man was uncooperative and resisting arrest and had a, quote, medical incident that eventually killed him by the time he got to the hospital. No one would be the wiser, and these people would have gotten away with murder. How many times do you think that has happened before? Would you like to think it's a rare thing? I would like to think it's a rare thing, but I have a hunch that it's not so rare. And that's a shame. Uh, something to make you kind of laugh and giggle after that <laughs> uh, extremely kind of uh, depressing story. This video made me laugh so hard. This is MSNBC doing their virtue signaling on wearing masks, right? So this is an NBC video, MSNBC. Uh, they are on the streets uh, somewhere, actually. I, I don't know where exactly they are. They're by a body of water. I don't think it's, it's in Florida at all, but um, you can see them kind of talk about people not wearing masks and virtue signaling, and then an onlooker calling the crew out that's actually filming for MSNBC for not wearing masks. It's great. Take a listen. Are the people there just not worried about it, Cal? Are they not worried about their own personal safety? I haven't met anybody who is. I met some folks actually from Lake Geneva who lived in the area. They were staying a few miles outside of town where I were. And they said they're worried about it. They're worried about that second spike. They're worried about folks coming in from Chicago. But they'll quickly add at the same time, this is a place that relies on that business. I think people here want a little bit more funding when it comes to these programs so that they could stay closed. But again, I think people felt like the Supreme Court made the decision here in Wisconsin that it was time to open uh, Wisconsin. up. So you can see here, just around. Nobody's wearing them. Nobody's, uh, the there you go, including the cameraman. Yeah. Katie. <laughs> Striking images, Cal Perry. <laughs> so, uh, this guy, for the audio listeners, this guy is looking directly into the camera. He's like, yeah, people aren't wearing them. Uh, as you can see, and he kind of ports, points off to the side, and the camera turns over to the side and points at a man who's got his kind of phone out. He's kind of, like, filming them filming the news. It's just kind of like that. They, Oh, look, the, the news is here type of thing. So he's got his camera out filming. And, uh, th this MSNBC reporter tries to take a shot at this guy because he's not wearing a mask on the sidewalk. And so he goes, see, look, the, the, these people aren't wearing masks. <laughs> and the guy, the onlooker, the bystander goes, yeah, neither, <laughs> neither is your cameraman. He's not wearing a mask. In fact, half of your crew isn't wearing a mask. 
It's all a charade. Listen to how <laughs> listen to how sad he sounds when he repeats after his guy says, "Yeah, including your cameraman." He's like, "Yeah, including the cameraman." Oh, back to you, Katie. <laughs> like, yeah, there you go for trying to be a jerk. You you like virtue signaling. Jerk. You can see here, just around. Nobody's wearing them. Nobody's. Uh, the there you go, including the cameraman. Yeah, Katie. <laughs> he just looks directly at the gown throws his hands up in such defeat yeah including the cameraman like he just he didn't even realize what was said and he just repeated the guy yeah including your cameraman yeah including the cameraman my cameraman and, and you could just see it like the wheels are turning in his head and he goes oh my god I just said that my own cameraman wasn't wearing a mask <laughs> and in such defeat he just kind of hangs his head and is like Back to you, Katie. <laughs> and they also have the uh, the video from the perspective of the onlooker as well. So you can kind of see a different perspective here that shows the cameraman not wearing a mask. And then an additional guy on the crew. There's four of them. Two of them are wearing masks. The other two are not. Nobody's wearing them. Including the cameraman. There you go. There you go. Yeah. So thank you. So great. So great. I love, I love these types of moments when the mainstream media can just get called out on their BS virtue signaling, dude. Like this guy sitting here pretending like all of these people are selfish and they're not wearing masks. And can you believe that people aren't regarding their own safety? They're taking it. They're not taking their own safety into account when they're walking around on the street. Like, look at this guy right beside us. See, they're not wearing masks. And this guy just goes, yeah, neither are your crew. Dude, it's all a charade. Neither is your crew. Stop feeding this virtue signaling BS to the world. No one believes you. <laughs> no one has any right to believe you when you put on these charades. It's just like when they when they do like that uh, those hurricane reports, you know? When like the mainstream media does those hurricane reports and you see the guy like sheltering, like shoving his feet into the ground and sheltering himself from the wind that's apparently like about to blow him over. And then you just see like people just like trotting in the background, (laughs) just walking like, oh, oh, it's all a show. (laughs) That's what it is. It's all a show. You, (laughs) you fakes. Uh, here's another story that completely uh, shocked me, but didn't really shock me. Over 4,500 coronavirus patients sent to New York nursing homes. More than 4,500 recovering coronavirus patients were sent to New York to New York's already vulnerable nursing homes under a controversial state directive that was ultimately scrapped amid criticisms it was possibly accelerating the outbreaks. No kidding. You sent recovering coronavirus patients back to the nursing homes. Arguably, this virus has about a 99. I don't know, 8% survival rate at this point. 99.8. That 0.2 vulnerability rate is is both people with pre-existing conditions and then an even more vulnerable are those of old age and New York governor Cuomo sent 4,500 of these patients back to the nursing homes filled with the most vulnerable people. You have got to be kidding me. AP compiled its own tally to find out to find out how many COVID-19 patients were discharged from hospitals to nursing homes under the March 25th directive after New York's health department declined to release its initial uh, <clears throat> its internal survey 
conducted two weeks ago. It says it is still verifying the data that was incomplete. Yeah, we can't give you the real numbers. We're still verifying it, please. Whatever the full number, nursing home administrators, residents, and residents, advocate, and relatives say that it added up to a big and indefensible problem for facilities that even Governor Governor Andrew Cuomo, the main proponent of the policy, called the called, quote, the optimum feeding ground for the virus. <laughs> so Governor Cuomo sent 4,500 COVID-19 patients to the optimum feeding ground for the virus. Ah, oh, great. Wonderful. It was the single dumbest decision anyone could make if they wanted to kill people, <laughs> Daniel Arben said of the directive, which prompted him to pull his 88-year-old father out of a Brooklyn nursing home where more than 50 people have died. 50 people in that nursing home. Holy crap. His father later died of his father later died of COVID-19 at home. Oh, wow. This isn't rocket science. Arbany said we knew the most vulnerable and the, we knew the most vulnerable, the elderly, elderly and compromised are in nursing homes and rehab centers. Told of the AP's tally, the health department said late Thursday it can't comment on the data we have had a chance to review. We haven't had a chance to review, particularly while we're still validating our own comprehensive survey of nursing homes administration admissions and readmissions data in the middle of the responding of this global pandemic. Cuomo, a Democrat, on May 10th reversed the directive, which had been intended to help free up hospital beds for the sickest patients as cases surged. But he continued to defend it in this week, saying he didn't believe it contributed to more than 5,800 nursing and adult care facility deaths in New York, more than any other state, and that homes and that the homes should have spoken up if it was a problem. (laughs) Oh, my God. Any nursing home could just say, I can't handle a covid person in my facility, he said. This is the governor. This is the governor. Any nursing home could just say, I can't handle a COVID person in person in my facility, he said. Although the March 25th order didn't specify how homes could refuse, saying that no resident shall be denied readmission or admission to the nursing home solely based on confirmed or suspected COVID-19. <laughs> wow, how many people died because of this? Wow. There's no telling. There's no telling how many people died because of this. Over a month later on April 29th, the health department clarified that homes should not take any new residents if they were unable to meet their needs, including a checklist of standards for coronavirus care and prevention. In the meantime, some nursing homes felt obligated and overwhelmed. Oh, wow. Can you believe that, guys? 4,500 sent directly to the 0.01% of the most vulnerable people. The people that you would want to protect the most out of anyone. What does government do? Sends a deadly virus to its most vulnerable population and tight living quarters in nursing homes. Wow. <laughs> I will leave it there. Uh, before I end the show, one uh, exciting announcement. The Libertarian Party has a presidential candidate, everybody. We will have a third option on the ballot in November. Joe Jorgensen has won the Libertarian Party presidential nomination. She will be running as the Libertarian candidate against Joe Biden and Donald Trump. And special announcement, Joe Jorgensen will be coming on Freedom Strips for an interview. That's right. I've scored an interview with the presidential candidate, of the third largest political party in America. This is exciting. I am very excited to talk to Joe Jorgensen. I will be able to talk to her next week. I will be uh, 
conducting that interview very giddy. Um, but Joe, Joe Jorgensen sounds, I didn't know much about Joe. I I did some research uh, on her. Uh, I did more, I I knew of her, but I did more research after she won the presidential nomination for the libertarian party. She sounds like a great, great candidate. Let me actually just plug her. Um, I want to get her website right so that everyone can, um, can, th- can get this and look up more. It is J O J 2020.com J O J 2020.com. She's got some great little videos kind of outlining her positions and beliefs on different, um, on the, uh, different stances that she'll take. I believe she will make a great candidate for the libertarian party and for liberty minded people, including myself. Um, Again, looking forward to that interview for sure. I can't believe I, I scored it, um, but I did. So thank you, everybody, for listening to another episode of Freedom Strips. If you liked this episode, be sure to subscribe to us on Apple, uh, Apple Podcast and Spotify and like our Facebook page. We'll see you on the next episode, everybody. Peace. Peace.